tonight or today we're going to begin talking about the favor of God. And this uh, series is going to be called Favor, the Scandal of God's Love. And today we're going to talk about the fact that God has loved us in a scandalous way. He's poured out favor upon us. Genesis 37, verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray this morning that you would enlighten our understanding as we come to it. Let us be filled with its power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. What is favor? Favor is the smile of God upon our lives. When God puts his hand or smile upon someone in a way that makes them unique and special in circumstances, sets them apart with his divine expression of goodwill and of grace. In fact, the word grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. You will recall what the Bible says, that we have been saved by grace. We have been saved by God's unmerited favor. To be saved means that we're right with God. We are in right standing with God. That is not something that you or I could earn in and of ourselves, but rather it is the fact of God's grace towards us, His unmerited favor towards us that has made possible for us to be saved. The favor of God can open a door that has been locked in your life. I said the favor of God can open a door that has been locked in your life. Sometimes there are doors in our life that we need open and they seem locked. They seem like the path going forward is blocked off. We can't get any further. And the favor of God can open doors that you don't deserve to have open, that I don't deserve to have open. I share the story of my days as an intern in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. I worked for the office of the majority leader. And my second day on the job was the State of the Union. That year, President Bush would give his uh, famous uh, speech on the Iraq War. And there would be, there was a great commotion, a a great buzz in the Capitol that day. Uh, I didn't have a seat in the State of the Union. Most congressmen only get two seats. And our office, because it was a majority office, got five seats. And those all went to very high dignitaries. So there was no way that the the new intern was going to have a seat in the House of Representatives that night. But they said you can either stay in the Capitol, stay in the office, or you can go home. I figured, well, if I'm going to watch it on TV, I might as well watch it in the office, and at least I'll be in the Capitol when it's all happening. And that night, about 15 minutes before the address would begin. The, uh, another man, a colleague of mine, came in the, the office and his, his eyes were red as he looked like he was about to burst into tears. He said, Isaac, I'm going to get fired today. 
I said, why? He said, I, have, uh, I was given the responsibility of bringing the, the delegation of South Korea into the chamber. Their, uh, the tickets that belonged to our office were going to them, but when they got to the metal detector, the, the ambassador was, uh, was embarrassed that he had to go through a detector and he refused to come in. And he left. The whole delegation left. He said, I lost the South Korean ambassador. And he went into the chief of staff's office, and when he did that, I knew there were five tickets available. And I started to pray. I'd been praying all day, Lord, give me a seat in that chamber. And now some seats were available, and I began to pray some more. It was just myself and another intern in the office, and the, the chief of staff walks in. He says, guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but one of you is going to the State of the Union tonight. He said, pick a number, one through, t- uh, one through ten, and whoever gets it right gets a ticket. I didn't even think about it. I just burst out, seven. You know I'm a Christian, right? I just said seven. Didn't give the other guy a chance. The, the, the chief of staff said, that's the number. He said, here's your ticket. Hurry up and go. And I got that ticket, and I went in, and I sat this little boy from Shote, Texas, in the chamber of the House of Representatives with congressmen and senators and the President of the United States. Why? Because the favor of God can open a door. Now that is just a small example and by, by the circumstances of our lives, many times we need things far greater than that. But I'm here today to tell you that when God smiles on your life, doors of opportunity will open up for you and even doors that hell itself has locked, God will break them wide open. I wish the church would say amen. amen. The favor of God is currency when you have no money. It's the favor of God. It causes you to be able to do things and to, and to, to make progress even when you don't have the, the resources to do it. And in the life of Joseph, we see that the favor of God moved him from the pit to the palace in 24 hours. One day, Joseph was forgotten in a prison cell. He had been forgotten by all but God. He heard the footsteps of that guard coming down the hallway of that jail and said to him, Joseph, get up and get dressed because you have an appointment. You have a guest that wants to see you. I imagine Joseph said, nobody even knows I'm here. My dad thinks I'm dead. My brothers sold me and forgot me. Nobody knows I'm here, but somebody knew he was there. God knew he was there. And Pharaoh was about to promote him to prime minister. That night he went to bed a pauper and that, that the night after that he went to bed being the prime minister of the, of the land of Egypt because the favor of God can move you into position at a moment's notice. The scripture says, Psalm 512, he has surrounded me with favor. Say that with me. He has surrounded me with favor. When you look to your, in front of you, behind you, he has surrounded you with favor. You look to your right and to your left, he has surrounded you with favor. You look down and you look up and you are in God's favor bubble. He has surrounded me with favor. 
Now you say, preacher, I don't know, that sounds good for you, but uh, I'm not like you. I haven't been preaching since seven, so God's probably not going to open any doors for me like he's opened for you. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says that the grace of God or the favor of God has appeared to all men. To who? To all men. There is no one upon whom God will not set his favor and bring salvation to their heart. Now, I've used the subject and said that this is a scandal, the scandal of divine love. For you see, friends, when Jacob, uh, his name is named Israel in, in, uh, in Genesis 37, he is the patriarch, the son of Abraham, Isaac, and now we have Jacob. Jacob has a son, his name is Joseph. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his brothers. How many of you know when there is favoritism in the home, there is a scandal? For Israel to love his son Joseph more than the rest is a scandal. So deep was this scandal that they ended up selling Joseph. The brothers sold him into slavery because of the scandalous love that their father had for him. I imagine that if you could see the family portrait of Jacob's family, you would see the ten older brothers of Joseph dressed in drab earth tones, browns, grays, and probably some old clothes. And then there in the middle, it's a 17-year-old smiling from ear to ear, with a tunic of many colors. Like a thumb. Sore thumb sticking out of the family photo. There was no question that Jacob loved this boy. And that he loved him more than anyone else. Can I tell you church that it is the love of God that is the source of the favor of God. God favors those that he loves. Say this with me. God favors those that he loves. And God, and God loves me. Do the math. God favors those that he loves. God loves me. Therefore, I am favored. I have the favor of God. You and I, we usually say, I am blessed and highly favored. Can you say that? I am blessed and highly favored. But now we can add, I am blessed, highly favored, and greatly loved. God has loved us. What kind of love is this? The prophet Hosea said, quoting God, I will love them freely. God says about you, I will love you freely. What kind of love is this? It is an uninfluenced love, meaning nothing within or without you could produce or, or provoke the love of God. God loves you because he is God. Because he has chosen to love you. He has set his love upon you. Nothing you did could make him love you more. Nothing you do could make him love you less. Now I know that that is contradicting some of your religious theology. Sometimes we think 
if I, if I don't tithe or I sin or I, uh, I, I yell at my children the wrong way, God's going to love me less, friend. God loved you all that he's ever going to love you, and you'll never get any less than all of his love. He is an uninfluenced love. It's been said that the love of a mother is like nothing else in the world. And that is true, except that a mother's love is not the same for the neighbor's children. She loves her children to death, but she don't love the neighbor's boy to death. She'll go in the lion's den to save her baby, but she's not going to jump in there for your baby. But the love of God is not like a mother's love. In fact, the, the, the minor prophet said it would be easier for a mother to forget her newborn. And I know that mothers don't forget newborns. I watch you in church. If you have a newborn in the nursery, mom and daddy are always coming and going to the nursery. Why? Because you can't possibly forget your newborn. But the Bible said even if a mother forgot her newborn, God would never forget to love you. It is an influ- un- uninfluenced love. It is an eternal love. God chose to love you before you could love him back. He chose to love you in an eternal way. He has no beginning or end to his love. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He has drawn you with his everlasting kindness. He chose you from before the foundations of the world. The love of God is a holy love. So much in our day that is spoken of as love is a perversion of love. But the love of God is an unperverted, uncompromised, uncorruptible love. It is a holy love towards you. The love of God is a sovereign love. For the scripture says that God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And Jacob here says he loved Joseph more than his brothers. Tell your neighbor, love ain't fair. God has set his love upon those that he has chosen. God has chosen humanity to love. God's love is an infinite love. The writer of the hymn said, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of paper made, and every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, and nor could the scroll contain the, the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. He filled the whole, the whole earth with the smallest font, describing the love of God. We would be in all of eternity before we could possibly find enough paper upon which to write that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I am and you are loved by an almighty God and the love of God is the source of the favor of God. God says I will love them freely. That word freely has three implications. Number one, it means I will love them without cost. You can't buy the love of God. You can't buy with all your good works, with all your good deeds, with all of your giving. You cannot buy the love of God. The love of God is given without cost. It is a free gift. We have been saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves so that no man can boast. God will not catch one of us in heaven saying, I'm here by my own good works. 
No one will be in heaven saying, I bought my ticket here. No, the only ones who will be in heaven are those who have been graciously saved by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who have received that free gift of God's love. He says, I will love them freely, referring to the fact that this is a voluntary love. God chose to love you. Some of you chose to love and marry somebody you didn't really know. This is not an altar call. I'm just stating a fact. But when God chose you, he knew you. He knew your past, your present, your future. He knew you and he loved you anyway. The old gospel song said, he knew me, yet he loved me. So many, they say, I fell out of love. I stopped loving them. I didn't know them for real. I didn't really know who they were. But God knew me, and yet he loved me. He knew my setbacks, my shame, my rebellion. He knew my heart that would turn away from him. He knew the, the ways that my sin nature would draw at me and, and turn me in the wrong direction, and yet he loved me. And he set his, his voluntary love upon me. When you have children, you don't get to choose them. They come to you. By the act of divine providence. But when you adopt a child, you get to choose the child. The Bible says that we have been adopted into the family of God. God literally chose you for adoption. We have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. We have that kind of closeness with God because he loved us. And he set his favor upon us. I will love them freely refers to the fact that God says, I will love them abundantly. I will love them in a big way. I don't know if you know this today, but God loves you in a big way. When I was a child, I made a Mother's Day card. It's about this big. Well, I was smaller then, so it's probably not that big, but it felt like it was that big. And I figured, well... The bigger the card, the more mama will know I love her. And you know, in order to store that thing, we had to fold it over several times. Can I tell you, there are many folds in the love of God. He has folded it over and over and over again just to make it into a manageable size for you to hold because he has loved you in a big way. He has loved you more than all the cards on earth could ever tell. He has loved you with an everlasting loving kindness and he has set his love upon you. Somebody ought to give God praise for that. Like a copious rain falling upon the soul, God has loved us freely. I will love you freely. When I was in college, they put in a new water fountain at the, at the school. I don't mean like to drink from. It was a, a fountain. It cost a million dollars. So they said. There was some resentment because they didn't build better stuff than a fountain for the million dollars. But that night of the, before the fountain was dedicated, somebody went in there and put a box of laundry detergent in the fountain. And the next morning there was a great mountain of soap suds. Nearly covered the, the building it was in front of. And when, I, when I saw that, I remembered thinking, 
But the apostle Paul said that he has lavished his love upon us. Under all of that, uh, uh, all of that soap suds, there was a small fountain. There was a, an item, an object of value. And God so loved you that he lavished his love upon you. You can't see it right now, but in your spirit, I wish you could see that you are covered in the soap suds of God's love and tender affection toward you. You are the very object of the love of God. The Bible speaks of a prophet named Hosea. Hosea was a good preacher. He was young and he was single. No pun intended. God spoke to him one day in prayer. He said, Hosea, I want you to get married. He said, yes, Lord. He said, I want you to marry a harlot. Say again. I want you to marry a woman of the night. You're going to have to confirm that with three witnesses, Lord. You want me to marry who? I want you to marry a harlot. That prophet went into a scandal. Can you imagine what the newspaper said? Young preacher marries woman of the night. God said, I want you to marry her and have children with her because I want Israel to know that although she has played the harlot, I love her. I'm so glad God doesn't illustrate his sermons that way anymore. (laughs) High cost to preaching. He married her and her name was Gomer and they had three children. Before long, Gomer went back to her ways. She committed adultery, betraying the love of her preacher husband, Hosea. It's not hard to imagine that a man like Jacob could love a good son like Joseph, but to imagine that Hosea could love a woman like Gomer, it's a scandal. Yet the Bible says that the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jew and to the Greek. For the Gentile, it's a scandal. The love of God is scandalous when you consider that he could love a sinner like Gomer. Not only was she rescued once out of a life of harlotry, but now she goes back to it. Now Hosea is again in prayer in Hosea 3. And the Lord says to him, Hosea, I want you to go and buy her back. She has been enslaved by her sin and iniquity, but I want you to go and buy her back and bring her into your house again. The Bible says that Hosea loved Gomer. I can imagine that day when that disappointed woman whose life had failed her on every turn, standing on the auction block of iniquity and sin, her friend, that is the only result of sin. It always leads downward. There is a high price to low living. She looks up when she hears a man's voice bid for her 
She thought she recognized that voice and she looks to the crowd and she sees that it is none other than the husband whom she has betrayed. He buys her back from harlotry and he brings her back home. He makes her his wife and he loves her because he was illustrating to Israel as a nation that although they had forsaken God, that God loved them with an everlasting love. Can I tell you today, friend, that that love which is a scandal is no less true for you and I. God loves you just that much and more than your words will ever be able or my words will be able to describe. You might say, preacher, how do I come into that love? How do I get to know God on that level? How do I come to know the love and grace of God? Hosea 14, 2 gives us an answer to that. It says, take with you words. What does that mean? It means make a confession. Open your mouth and speak to God. You know, so many of the problems in our lives would be solved if we would just talk to God. He says, take with you words. Get some words. They don't have to be eloquent words. They don't have to be wise words. They may not even be very reverent words. But find some words that you can speak to God. And return to him, says the prophet. Return to God. Turn around. You're walking in the direction of sin and iniquity and ultimately the direction of hell. God says, turn around. Take a 180 degree turn. It's just that simple, an act of repentance. To turn your back on that lifestyle that you have chosen for yourself, which has taken you downward. And say to God, take away all my iniquity. Take away my sin. Take away my guilt. Some of you tonight, today, you'd say, Preacher, on what right do I have to tell God to just get rid of my sin, to just take it away? Doesn't he want to hold it against me? I'll tell you what right you have. You have the right of a divine invitation. He himself has sent you a golden embossed invitation saying, Come and let us reason together that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That is the invitation of God saying, Come, ask me to take away all of your iniquity. Will he do it, preacher? Oh, yes, he will. For he says in his word that he will remove our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. Because the Bible said he knows our frame, that we are but dust, and yet he loves us. He set his affection upon us. He says, come, let's talk. Ask of me, and I will remove your sin from you. You have a guilty conscience this morning? You have a conscience stained by guilt and shame? Can I tell you that the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God? And then Hosea says, if you will take words, if you will return, if you will ask God to take away your iniquity, he will receive you graciously. He will receive you with favor. Favor? I thought if I, if I came to God, I had to go through the back door and hope that he'll let me in. No. He says, if you come to me, I'll graciously receive you. I'll set a table and we'll eat together. I'll cook your favorite meal. And we'll sit and we'll dine together. And 
I will wash away your iniquity and change your heart and your life and make you the man, a woman that he wants you to be. Friend, this invitation is available to you today. The love of God is available to you today. The favor of God is available to you today. You and I need to put away every thought that says God won't bless me. God won't love me. God won't receive me. God won't help me. Some of you saints today, you're looking at challenges in your life and you're saying, God, I need a breakthrough. I want you to get some faith today and believe that when you go apply for that job that you need, that you are covered in the favor of God. That when you go and stand and, and, and asking for that opportunity, that you are standing in the very favor of God. And today, if you will come to this altar, friend, and you'll say, Jesus... Take away my sin. Take away my iniquity. I can guarantee you that the spotlight of God's favor will fall upon you and that he will do all of that and more in your life and soul if you will but come to him, if you will but return to him. So today, if you hear his voice, you feel the tugging of his, of his voice on your heart. Don't harden your heart. Say yes. Let his love come into your life and change it and transform it and make it new. Would you stand with me, please? Every head bowed in this place, no one moving around. As we enter into this sacred moment of response to the Word of God. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone, Here's my voice. It opens the door. I will come into him and dine with him.